Hey there, and welcome to the Brave Marriage Podcast. I'm Kinsey Dozinski, a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified professional coach, and this is a podcast for couples who want to grow as individuals, do marriage with intention, and live mutually empowered, purposeful lives. I know this isn't the usual day that you hear from me, but since Lent began, I've been so mindful of Easter, and I wanted to do an episode that meets you in time for that this year. So what I want to talk with you about today is the experience of grief and the importance of acknowledging what stage you're in in that process. But also, I want to talk with you about how to hope in the midst of uncertainty. But before I dive in, I just want to say thank you to those of you who've shared this podcast. Thank you to my clients who are listening, and thank you to those of you who've told me how much you're enjoying this series. I can't tell you how encouraging and meaningful and honestly motivating it is right now to know that this podcast is making a difference in the quality of your lives and relationships, especially in this season. Hearing from you and hearing that it's helping you means more than you know. In talking with friends, family, clients, and colleagues this week, What continues to echo throughout those conversations is how strange and thrown off people are feeling, how difficult it is to find language to put to our individual and collective experiences right now. So many individuals are undergoing transition, and they're feeling sad, angry, overwhelmed. Others, like students, are trying to finish up semesters and feeling very unmotivated, and at the same time feeling very overwhelmed. So many first responders are feeling nervous, panicked, and struggling amidst stress and confusion. And those of us for whom COVID-19 isn't leading us to have to mourn or grieve the actual loss of loved ones are just feeling this dull sense of uncertainty and generalized stress, being confined to our homes and having to change up our work and responsibilities and routines. So however you're identifying right now, What I want you to understand is that to some degree, all of us are grieving and experiencing this unnamed loss. So I briefly want to walk you through the five stages of grief as outlined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And while sometimes her research gets misused and applied to people's grief where the work doesn't actually apply, I do think that the five stages of grief is helpful for us here because in some sense, All of us are having to come to terms with the loss of life as we once knew it. So try and keep that in mind as I describe the five stages, and those stages of grief include denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. In the denial phase, we as humans tend to go into shock. It's like our brains have trouble processing this new and life-altering information, And so we behave in ways that seem incongruent with what's actually going on until we're able to register a little better what's happening. Think about some politicians or business leaders or maybe social media influencers you follow. Toward the beginning of the outbreak, I'm sure many of you watched as I did, so many people with platforms saying things and behaving in ways that seemed off and making decisions that seemed inappropriate, almost, to the developing situation, but that's because we were witnessing their denial phase lived out publicly. In the anger phase, we tend to think about or express all the ways that this thing feels unfair. We outline why this shouldn't be happening, and we insist that it should be another way. 
whether verbally or behaviorally. And it's really in this phase that our entitlements get exposed, the things that we've taken for granted or that we expect of ourselves or others. So we might think to ourselves, but I've been a good person. I've done absolutely nothing to deserve this. In fact, I've worked really hard to avoid having to experience something like this. And remember how we talked about when we don't move through our emotions, they tend to come out sideways? Well, if you've noticed angry individuals in the few places that are still open, you can pretty much bet that they have a lot going on and a lot of anger and pain that they've yet to process or register as grief. The third phase, the bargaining phase, is where we begin to try and subconsciously manipulate the situation in an effort to try and make sense of what's happening or to regain some sense of or illusion of control. It's in this state that we say things to God like, if you'll just take this burden or this sickness away, I'll do whatever you want. Or perhaps we start bargaining with ourselves or other people, saying things like, if only you wouldn't have taken that job last year or quit your job to start your own business, we wouldn't be in this situation right now. Or if only I wouldn't have gone to the grocery when I did, then none of my family would be exposed. And this is what I mean when I say that our brains are trying to make sense of what's happening. Because the reality is, COVID-19 is pretty senseless. We don't understand it. We don't know exactly how or why or with whom it started. And so there's really no one on whom to place blame or guilt. And yet, our brains go to, well, if I can pin my experience on someone or take the blame myself, then perhaps that will somehow make me feel better by shoring up my psychological grief or what's known as cognitive dissonance. So that even if I end up feeling angry or frustrated or mad, at least I'm familiar with what those things feel like. And in an odd way, that's more comforting than accepting the reality that tragedy and crisis are human experiences that humans can't make true sense of. Now, the next phase is the depression phase, and by that, I don't mean clinical depression, but feelings of being depressed that come from grief. We sometimes experience this as sadness as we begin to realize our losses. We may feel tired or overwhelmed for seemingly no reason, kind of numb or like our senses are dulled. Maybe we feel apathetic or unmotivated. There have been a couple of days when I've accomplished one or two things on my to-do list or just held a few sessions and done nothing else that I felt tired and like I didn't have the energy to do anymore. And fortunately, I have a group of colleagues I've been texting with and all of us are reminding each other to give ourselves a break and to listen to our bodies and to pay attention to our grief when at times it would certainly be easier, at least in the short term, to ignore what we're feeling and press on like the competent, capable Americans that we are, right? So I share this with you to help you recognize your own coming to terms as well as your tendency toward hyperproductivity or overconsumption, which are 100% influenced by a first world culture that doesn't know how to grieve or rest or feel negative feelings, which as we've talked about are critically important to letting us know what we actually need during this time. And finally, in the acceptance phase, We learn to either settle down or to step up. 
or maybe a little bit of both, depending on how our grief has manifested itself. Here, we begin to make meaning and recalibrate to life as it now is, rather than continuing to bargain for a life that once was, or refusing to let it go. And acceptance doesn't mean forgetting the past or diminishing our losses. It just means coming to term with our present reality and finding life and hope and joy in the present and in the future as we think about it. But here's the deal. It's really hard to make meaning out of our grief when we refuse to acknowledge the earlier experiences of it. What I mean is, as long as we act like COVID-19 isn't a global pandemic that's affecting all of us to one degree or another, as long as we stay angry or blame ourselves or other people for the current circumstances in our lives, or as long as we ignore our sadness or overindulge our sadness as a way to resist moving forward, then we won't be able to move forward in healthy, resilient ways. We may look like we're fine and function well for a little while, but long-term, We won't have gained anything or learned anything through our grief and through this experience. And that doesn't just go for us as individuals or couples, but that goes for our communities and our society as well. So you can see how important it is to understand what you're experiencing during this time and to move through it. Like we talked about two weeks ago, rather than resisting it or buffering or masking it. Because when we pay attention to how we're feeling and we move healthily through our emotions, then our health and wholeness and our humility and resilience will have a ripple effect on those we care for and on those we come into contact with in our everyday lives. So I hope that gives you a better sense of the grief and ambiguous loss you may be experiencing. But I also wanted to talk to you about how to hope in the midst of all of this uncertainty. Because hope is not just good vibes or positive wishful thinking. It's not just a good idea, but it's a way of actively approaching the world in order to help you get through it. And from a Christian point of view, it's a way of moving through our lives because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I was listening to Krista Tippett of the On Being podcast do an interview with a writer who had written stories of those who'd come out on the other side of disasters and crises. And this author said something so striking to me, which was that in the midst of crisis, people find hope not by looking to the future, but by looking to the past. And I loved this thought. It was so grounding to me for two reasons. First of all, this is not the first time I've had to live and move through my emotions in the midst of uncertainty. And when you have a life experience that humbles you that much, that wakes you up to your own delusion that you're somehow in control of your life or of what happens to you, or that by somehow ignoring your human limitations, you can escape the human experience, life becomes much more clear and, paradoxically, very freeing. Not that you don't still experience the full range of human emotion, But there's this underlying sense of peace and confidence that, once again, as before, you will get through this by the grace of God. Does that make sense? And number two, that quote felt so true of the Christian faith and of what Easter weekend represents. As Christians, we don't place our hope in an abstract, ethereal God, but in a God who loves us so much that he sent his Son in real life flesh and blood 
to dwell and live among us for a time for the purpose of then dying on a cross and atoning for our sin because none other than the person of Jesus Christ could have saved us. And in his coming to earth, he taught us so much about himself and about the Father, realizing the fullness of God's love, the extent of God's mercy, and the extravagance of God's grace. Christ didn't just willfully submit his own will to the Father's and die on the cross to atone for our sins, but he was then resurrected, that we might have life and have it fully now as well as in eternity. And if that weren't enough, after Jesus resurrected and spent a few more days with his disciples, he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to dwell inside of every single Christ follower. I don't know about you, but this seems like a big deal to me. So as I record this on Good Friday, the day that heaven and earth both grieved and mourned the loss of Jesus, and of life as they knew it up to that point, it seemed appropriate to me to talk with you this weekend about loss and grief and hope in light of everything going on. So practically speaking, how do we hope in the midst of uncertainty? Number one, we choose to. We choose to not just see and think despairingly, but we choose to use our imaginations to help us see and think alternatively. We choose to get up every day, even when it's hard. We don't give up our agency just because life feels hard. We choose to do hard things and to let life feel hard as we do it. Number two, to build on that, we find ways to be grateful or things to be grateful for. We look for ways to be thankful in our everyday, present realities. And this doesn't mean minimizing or diminishing or disrespecting our uncertainty or all the things we're feeling in the midst of a hard reality. But what it does do is it helps us reframe our reality and see the good that's still there in the midst of it. We don't have to be grateful for a circumstance in order to be grateful in the midst of it. And the same is true of COVID-19. No one is going to be thankful for it. But we can all choose to be grateful and to see the good in the midst of it. To see the little graces and goodness all around us. Because that is what's going to help us keep going. And number three, as Christians, we hope and hope himself. Again, this doesn't mean neglecting how we feel. Dismissing the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Or saying we have hope in the same way that we hope for better weather tomorrow. Our hope, who is available to all of humanity, is Jesus Christ himself, who made a way for us to live eternally and abundantly here on earth in the meantime. So I think that covers our good news and gratitude section for today. Your action step is to list five things that you're grateful for including Easter weekend, and share those things with your spouse. And my prayer this weekend is that we'd remember the words of Jesus from the book of John, that though we will have troubles in this world, that we would take heart, because as Jesus said, I have overcome the world. I pray that we'd be mindful of the cross, of Jesus' resurrection, and more grateful than ever for the hope we have in the one who came to save our souls eternally, and who is for us the way, the truth, and the life. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.
love is not a bond. Love is just as fragile as it is.